Good morning. My name is Andrew. It's a real pleasure to have you here with us today. Today I'm not going to preach about sex. I'm not preaching about money. I'm not preaching about abortion or war or immigration or politics. But I suspect I'm going to step on some toes today. And we were talking about this in our staff meeting this week, and Kate said, I hope you step on people's toes, so it's her fault, uh, not mine. In fact, I want to provoke you. I hope, whether you agree with me or not, you're going to go home and think about what I'm going to talk about. I hope you'll talk about it over lunch. I hope it will stay with you this week, and frankly, I hope it stays with you beyond that, because it's an important topic. And I actually only want to preach on one Bible verse today. It's from Matthew chapter 10. Jesus has his disciples together. And he's sending them out in kind of an internship to test what it means to be in ministry. And he says, Matthew 10, 16, he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as gentle as doves. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as gentle as doves. Will you pray with me? Lord, we pray that you'd add your richest blessings to the reading and hearing of your word. And that you'd speak through my words, Lord. You'd think through our thoughts. And you'd light up our hearts. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This past week, there's been a lot of news. In fact, my parents who live on the East Coast called me and said, this was on the national news. Dallas has been on the national news because of the spraying for the mosquitoes that are carrying West Nile virus. You probably all heard about it, right? Maybe you heard the airplanes the other evening. You live over here in East Dallas. Here's an image. Look at this picture. Let's say it turns out a couple weeks from now that what they were spraying was not insecticide, but was water. And let's say the pilots are doing their best job just to soak Dallas with water making sure every roof was wet, that there were standing puddles everywhere, making sure that every branch and leaf was dripping wet, making sure that the water was deep down in the soil. If they were doing that, thinking that was going to curb the mosquito problem, what would happen? It, in fact, it would make the mosquitoes worse. Have you ever done anything that had an opposite effect to what you intended? Have you ever meant to do one thing, and in fact, rather than fixing or making a problem better, you in fact caused a problem to be worse? Have you ever done that? I want to talk about that idea today with regard to helping people in need. See, the truth is, I think, and I want to tell you in a little bit, I think a lot of us have, instead of helping, have actually been hurting with some of the efforts we've been doing. Now, we meant well. But in fact, good intentions aren't enough. What does Jesus tell his disciples? He says, I'm sending you out into a world like sheep among wolves. So just be well-intentioned. Have a lot of love in your heart, like a pop song says, and it'll be okay. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves into the real world. So therefore, I need you to be as shrewd as serpents and as gentle as doves, as innocent as doves. I'd like us to take that verse and apply it to what it means to be helping people in need in our community. What does it mean to help people in need in a way that is as innocent as a dove, but that is also as shrewd as a serpent? Here's what I think it means. Non-negotiable number one. Christians everywhere, church, the church everywhere, and of course in this place, 
absolutely must be committed to helping the needy. Absolutely. It's a non-negotiable. In fact, it's almost like step one. If a church is not caring for people in need, then it's not really doing its job as the body of Christ in the world. So that's the non-negotiable one, number one. We absolutely must be caring for people in need. But number two, we need to do it in a way that actually helps and not hurts, that actually produces a long-term and holistic solution rather than a temporary emergency band-aid. Jesus says, I need you to be as shrewd as serpents and as gentle as doves. Have you ever been at the grocery store and somebody walked up to you and they asked you for a handout? And you probably had a couple of options. Either you said yes and took out your wallet and gave some cash, or you said, well, I can't give you cash, but I can, I can buy you some food. Or maybe you said no, or maybe you just tried to avoid that person altogether. If so, and I bet you've all have been in that situation, I want to talk about what it would look like to be as shrewd as serpents and as gentle and innocent as doves in that situation. Because the truth is, I don't believe that what many of us do when we try to help people in need and we mean well, I don't believe it's actually helping. I think, I think it's hurting. Now, on the most basic level, here's why. What's that uh, saying? It says you, you do the same thing over again and expect different results. That means you are insane. Yeah, I've always thought that was a terrible quotation. It means you're stupid, I thought. Insanity is watching ABC's The Bachelor or something like that. <laughs> That's insane, okay? It's stupidity to do the same thing and expect different results. And yet often the way we as a culture and as a church and even I individually have gone about helping people in need has not actually produced a different result. It's the same thing. The same people ask the same thing. Now, they might say, well, I just need a few bucks today, but they also need few, a few bucks tomorrow and the day after and the day after. In fact, what the experts say is what many of us do when we help the needy is, in fact, emergency relief. Emergency relief is when there's a hurricane in Haiti and people need some place to sleep today, tonight. They need food tonight. They need clean water right now. Emergency relief is somebody comes up to you in serious injury, you know, bleeding from a deep artery, uh, uh, wound, and you take them to the ER right away. Emergency relief is when someone flees an abusive situation and you have a, a woman who's just left an abusive situation and you need to help her now. That's emergency. But unfortunately... Or fortunately, perhaps, almost all the people that we encounter on a daily basis who seem to be in need, even in other cultures, the experts will say, even in other countries, are in fact not in need of an emergency relief. Because an emergency is, by definition, immediate, and it's seldom, and it's going to be a temporary fix to whatever the problem is. So we have people who come to us who say, I, I need help, I don't, I don't have any place to stay tonight. The problem is, is that they had the same problem yesterday and the day before and the day before that, and they will have the same problem tomorrow. And in fact, by giving a simple handout, I'm not helping move toward a long-term solution. I'm actually hurting by keeping somebody in place in an unhealthy and uh, broken situation. And the reason that is is because what the experts are saying, and of course this corresponds completely to what the scriptures tell us about the human condition. The problem with people, the root cause, is not that some people can't afford their rent tonight or have a 
warm meal or a clean place to sleep. That's a symptom. Now, it's a pretty nasty symptom, but it's just a symptom. The problem is, in fact, broken relationships, or in the church's language, it's sin or the fall. See, we live in a world in which the relationships are broken between us and the Lord, between us and other people, and between us and, in fact, the very creation itself. And so if you just give a simple handout, thinking that the problem is financial, you're treating one part of the symptom but not actually the root cause, and it doesn't go anywhere. This is one way I believe we're helping without hurting. I mean, we're helping, we're hurting through our help. It's providing simple handouts. There's another way, though, that I believe we're doing this. And it's more subtle and, frankly, more important. I need to volunteer. Leon, would you come up? Let's say I, I want to talk to Leon and I bring him into my office. And I say, Leon, have a seat. And my goal in bringing Leon up is I want to talk to him and just, I just want to encourage him. And I want to tell him, man, I think you're doing a great job. I think God has put tremendous gifts in your life. I think maybe the Lord is calling you to ministry. I want you to step up and lead. I want you to step into your gifts. I could be saying nice things to him, but notice the dynamic here. He might be hearing my words, but my posture is, you're still kind of down there and I'm up here. And you need to kind of listen to me because I'm in the position of power and, and I am the great giver and you can be the recipient. Even if your intentions are good, and remember, good intentions aren't enough, I think when somebody comes up to you and asks for a handout, it is impossible to avoid this dynamic when you pull out your wallet and say, here's a few bucks. I'm not saying that you're meaning to do that. I'm not saying that they're perceiving it consciously, but I'm saying unconsciously that's what's going on here. Now, another alternative might be this. Leon, you can flip your chair towards the front. Let's say I pull Leon up and want to talk to him and say, man, I just feel like God has so many gifts. You can really bless our church. I want to be a partner with you. I want to be a colleague with you. If I'm sitting next to Leon like this and we're both looking at a problem together, do you notice the difference that's communicated here? I'm saying, Leon, you and I are, man, we're the same, and we have different gifts, and God can use us to meet a problem together. Thank you, sir. Well done. You remembered all your lines. <laughs> one of the things the experts say is the problem with giving handouts, and in fact, one of the problems with poverty is that it's not just that people who are in need find themselves, define themselves, rather, in terms of what they don't have, although they do. They also often find themselves in a positions of inferiority and that comes deep into who they are, their souls, and they really believe they're not worth anything. And that's exactly one of the lies our culture is teaching people, right? That as long as you have a lot, then you're valuable, and as, if you don't have very much, you're not very valuable. And little children pick up on this from a very early age, and they take it with them into adulthood. I have led multiple mission trips to Mexico, and we meant well, and I think God used them. But think about this image. People from north of the border come into a little Mexican village to build houses for a week. And we build houses, and we feel good about ourselves. In the meantime, there's a bunch of unemployed adults just down the street, watching us do work which they could do. In fact, they could get paid for. What we are communicating to them in a way, not intentionally, but remember, good intentions aren't enough. We need to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. What we are communicating to them is, you don't really have what it takes to care for your own community, so we will come and fix it for you. 
See, I don't think the love of God is a love that just calls us to the very basic level of something. It's a love that calls us to work towards somebody's entirely, entire healing, towards shalom, towards the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus' essential message was. I come to bring the kingdom, the place where what God wants is what happens. I'm wondering if it's time for us to reconsider the way that we help people in need in a way that might actually help without hurting, in a way that doesn't perpetuate feelings of inferiority on the recipient and superiority on the giver. See, because there's another problem here. According to the scriptures, the problem with us is not that some people don't have much and some people have a lot. The problem with us is sin, is broken relationships. And the problem with me is that my relationships are broken whether or not I can pay my rent tonight or not, whether or not I have a hot meal tonight or not. But the way we've gone about helping people in need has not just hurt the people to whom we're giving the aid, it's also hurt the giver. Because we begin to think, ah, we have it together, we're important. Oh, Lord, I am so grateful that you bless us in so many ways, not like those people. And I'm gonna give you something because I am so generous gives me a false sense of superiority, perhaps. Unconsciously, unintentionally, but good intentions aren't enough. Let me give you an even more maybe threatening example to a lot of us. For years, my wife worked at the Plano ISD. She was a counselor at the elementary level. And every year, she planned a Christmas gift program for some folks in the school who were in need. And people would go and buy a lot of gifts. You know, they'd go to Target and load their shopping carts up with toys and all, all kinds of stuff. Bring it to the school that evening in December. I'd come every year and help. We'd set up the tables. And families would come in and just take whatever they wanted up to a limit and go on their way. And I think the reason so many of us like to do the stuff at Christmas is I think, frankly, it's kind of about us. It makes us feel good. Aren't we so generous and and so kind. Now, I'm not, I've done the same thing, so hear me all the way to the end. But I'm just wondering if what it would look like to help without hurt would be to think more about the people we're helping rather than about just making us ourselves feel good. Jesus says, listen, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. This is the real world. This is not some kind of made-up Sunday school lesson. This is real world. I need you to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. And the love of God is a love that wants the very best for people. It's a love that meets people where they are, but doesn't leave them there. It's a love that calls us to help without hurting, rather than to hurt inadvertently through the ways that we're helping. Okay, so what might this look like? I have some practical conclusions I want to talk through, and I need you to listen all the way through the end before you jump to conclusions, okay? If you're not already ticked with me. Here's the first conclusion that I've come to after doing some research on this and meeting with folks in the church and praying through this. Number one, I'd like to suggest that we stop as a church and as individuals, even apart from the church in your own neighborhoods, number one, I'd like us to stop with handouts of any kind. I'd like us to stop with handouts of any kind. Here's how I define a handout. A handout is something that's transactional in nature. No relationship, no history, no future. It's an immediate thing. You come to me, you say, I need a few bucks, and I say, here you go. 
And the reason I say of any kind is because for years now, for years, I have not given people money when they ask me outside a store. I'll say, can't give you money, but I'll, I'll buy you dinner. And I'll just go and pick up something and give it to them. But I'm thinking that maybe even that is a way that's hurting and not really helping. See, because in, <clears throat> the human creature is such that until we make a decision on our own, nobody can make us change. You've perhaps experienced this if you have somebody in your life who's an alcoholic. You can talk about AA all day long, but until they reach the point when the situation is so rough that they have to change, they're not going to actually want to become sober. In the same way, outside of emergency situations, people who are in need, until they have a real reason to change, are not going to, particularly if we enable it. Now, I'm aware this sounds really harsh, and I'm aware that it sounds rough to say no help of any kind. But f frankly, again, people who come up to me, and I, people say this all the time, I need a place to stay tonight. What happened the night before and the night before and the night before? And no matter what I do tonight, there's the same problem tomorrow and the next day. I'm not sure real love is keeping people in a situation like that. I'm, perhaps real love might be to want something better for somebody. Now, but there's an asterisk there, and I need you to hear it before you kind of jump to conclusions. Here's the first caveat about no handouts of any kind. The first one is this. I think we need to be more intentional in assisting the folks in our congregation. Now, if you're here for the first time and you say, there the church goes, just caring for people who are part of its doors is like the country club, hear me out here. You name me another organization in the world, in our city, that welcomes people of all types, all skin colors, all level of balances in their bank account that says God has a plan for you and that you are a precious child of God. You tell me of another organization like that. It is not insular to focus on providing for our congregation. In fact, I think that's what God's calling us to do because it, people in our congregation are people with whom we have relationships, with whom we have history, with whom we have a future. Let me give you a, a very small practical example. We had a woman who was here for a while. She's no longer here. She was about to start a new job. She'd come out of a really bad background. But to start her new job, she needed a uniform. She needed a pair of black shoes. So to get the job that would pay for the shoes, she had to have the shoes that she couldn't pay for. You follow me? It's a catch-22, right? We have a team of folks I met with them this week, very caring people. We have a benevolence process, a benevolence team. We have a small fund. We meet with people. We work out a little application. We figure how we could help without hurting. And we help people in need in our congregation. I am not saying that we stop assisting, and I have two more points to go too, so you need to listen all the way through. I am saying we need to do it in a way that actually helps, not hurts, and I want us to focus on the needs of our congregation. And in fact, I'd like to be a church that has an increasing level of needs in our congregation. We have so many different sorts of people here. What a beautiful thing it would be if people sat next to each other on a pew who had nothing in common apart from the love of Christ and learned to care for each other. In fact, it'd be like the church in Acts chapter 2 in which they took what they had and cared for those in need. And the second caveat is, of course, let's be ready to help and assist in emergencies. Again, if a woman comes just out of an abusive relationship, she needs immediate help. But not everybody who says or even believes that he or she is in an emergency is, in fact, in an emergency. And so I'd like us as a church to stop giving handouts of any kind, and I'd like you to do the same when you're here at the church, and I'm going to encourage you to do the same with prayer out in the community. 
But here's point two, and this is really important. I want us to be a church that goes directly towards people in need rather than walks away from them. Now, this is a place of honesty. I'm going to be totally honest with you. And I should just say, honesty is a really important value to me personally and to this church. If you're here and you don't believe or you don't understand, please don't say it if you don't believe it. Please feel free to ask whatever questions are on your mind. Honesty is important. I think God uses it. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have many, time, many times in my life been in a situation where somebody walks up and I'll know what they're going to ask me and I'll either hope, please don't talk to me, talk to the lady over there. I'll try not to make eye contact. I'll try to keep going. Yeah, as if I'm the only one who does that. But how, how sinful is that? Think about that. A precious child of God is coming up to me and I'm trying to pretend that he or she isn't there. That's sin. <laughs> That's an example of a broken relationship. But one of the reasons that I feel that way is because I never know what to do in those situations and I feel as if whatever I do is the wrong thing. This is why I'm saying number one first, then number two. If I know that somebody, that if I know that I'm not going to give a handout of any sort, I think that frees me up to be more intentional about a relationship with that person. I think that gives me more intentionality to recognize the dignity in that human creation, to want to know his or her name, to shake a hand. No, I'm still going to say, I can't provide you anything right now, but I could say, man, I'd love to pray for you right now. I'd love to welcome you to my church. I'd love to see you tomorrow. I'd love to know more about your story. I think if we make a commitment to number one, it will actually help us with number two, to be more intentional. Somebody comes to your door, you say, I, I can't give you a handout right now, but if you come back tomorrow or next Thursday or next Saturday, I have some yard work that can be done, and you could negotiate an agreement and recognize the dignity in that person. So number one, I think that maybe we should say no handouts of any sort. Number two, let's go directly towards somebody in need, particularly at church. See, what can happen is somebody can come up to you at church and you feel kind of guilty. You're at church. You don't know if the pastor's watching what you should do. But if you've already made a decision, we've made a decision as a congregation, we're not giving handouts, what a beautiful thing it would say, hey, come on in. I get, you can sit right next to me. Let's go get some coffee together. Let's visit. Let's pray. Let's hear your story. Wouldn't it be great if we were a church that was known for that kind of radical hospitality and love? I think that'd be a powerful thing. And then finally, this is what I like to call us to do. I'd like us to commit to be praying for the Lord to give a, us a vision as a congregation for an area of development for us to be involved in. What the experts will say is relief is temporary and immediate and it doesn't really work outside of emergencies. Development is the long, slow, difficult work of partnering to attack a problem together and to see what change can result in it. I don't know what that is, but I'd like us to be a church that focuses on a few areas of development, or maybe just one, and says so that is our mission as a church. Maybe it's we're really committed to helping ex-offenders get jobs. Maybe we teach financial classes. Maybe we have parenting classes. Maybe we teach ESL. Maybe we have help with immigration stuff. I don't know what it is. Maybe we teach financial counseling classes, or maybe it's nothing like that. What I'm saying is what a beautiful thing it would be if we commit as a congregation for the next six months God, give us a vision of, of a church, of an area of development to rally around. Wouldn't that be a cool thing if we just feel like the Spirit raising something out of us in that area? 
Here's some thoughts I have about that. Number one, I don't think it needs to be something that we invent. In fact, we shouldn't try to start our own thing. We should look and see what other people are already doing well. Why reinvent the wheel? We don't need our name on it. We don't need any credit. In fact, we should try to find people in the community who are doing great development work and say, thank God for you, and we'd like to help you. How can we help? It should be work that doesn't have this kind of power dynamic going at it where one person is the giver in a position of authority and somebody else is the recipient. It should be work that's about partnership or we work right alongside the people with whom we're working. And it should be something that's long and slow and difficult. See, it's easy just to feel good about yourself by giving a few hundred dollars of gifts at Christmas. It's hard to really ask, what could this family really need? How has God blessed me in a way that I can help them over time? That's hard. In our culture, we like quick solutions. Our politicians like it, and we like it, and our headlines like it. It'd be easy for us to do some things as a church that would make us look good, but I'm talking about things that would actually be doing good, helping without hurting. For example, I told you about my wife and the gift exchange, the gift program. I can imagine a program, in fact, I heard about one this week, in which the people that were going to be recipients were the ones who set up the shop, the toy shop, who worked that afternoon getting it ready, and then they had to use their own money to buy discounted toys. See what a different message that already sends about what someone can do and what someone is able to give? It's good intentions aren't enough. Let's be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. And here's why that's so important. Our God didn't just breathe life into the world and create it and send it spinning out into the cosmos. Our God was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and was crucified, dead, and buried. And the third day he rose again from the dead. Our God is a God whose fingernails are dirty in the world, who is committed to it not just as it is, but as it could be. See, real love meets people exactly where they are, but it doesn't leave them there. Real love is patient, and it's kind, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13. And love bears all things. What if we became known as the kind of people who had that kind of love? That we said the hard things to people because we loved them too much to allow them to stay where they are? Because giving wasn't about us feeling good, but about us actually making a difference? What if we became the church that began to welcome all different sorts of people and taught them what Christian fellowship was like? And what if we're the kind of church that over time, over 10 years, over a generation, we worked hard in development and working with people in need? And we said, God, use us not as the givers but as partners. Can you imagine what God would do with the hundreds of us that are here this morning if we made that kind of commitment as a group? You know what would start to happen? The kingdom would start to come. And God's will, which is already done in heaven, would begin to be done on earth. And people may not agree with what we say or understand, but they would say, the love of God is working through that people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may God make it so. Amen.